You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the US, and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. My book, Profit First for Therapists, is finally available for pre sale. I am so excited about this book. I've poured my heart and soul into it, and I've shared every tip and trick that I've got on how to implement Profit First in private practice. I've taken the tried and true Profit First system and really, really customized it to the industry. In this book, though, I'm not just giving you profit first. I also included things like scaling your practice, team compensation, paying down debt. So there's a whole lot of other things that are that are helpful for starting or growing your practice and really all around financial literacy for practice owners. I also have a lot of fun bonuses available for you if you pre-order before May 2nd. If you go to ProfitFirstForTherapists.com, you'll get all the details. There's a link to pre-order the book now you'll also be able to redeem your bonuses. There are things like early access to all of our tools and templates that are in the book. And if you buy three books or more, there are additional bonuses available to you as well. You'll also be entered into a raffle where you can win a Profit First strategy session with me, Julie Harris. You can find the book at most online retailers like Amazon and Barnes & Noble as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, we are chatting with Whitney Owens, the lovely Whitney Owens, I should say. Um, And we're going to be talking about setting rates for your private pay clinicians, as well as adding benefits in your uh, group practice. So Whitney, welcome. We're happy to have you. Thank you, Julie. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Yes, you are a repeat guest uh, on the podcast. You were here in season one, so we're happy to have you back in season three. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and all the the number of things that you do. All the things, yes. All the things. So I own a private pay group practice here in Savannah. Right now we have 11 therapists and two admin, but I'm trying to hire some more. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I also do private practice consulting specifically for faith-based therapists, teaching them how to start and grow their practice. I have two little girls, ages nine and six, married to a minister. So that's always interesting conversations between the two of us. <laughs> um, yeah. And so doing all the things, podcasting, I have a membership community, and uh, we'll talk about the summit here at the end, I think. But yeah, having a lot of fun. Very good. All right. So let's jump right in. Um, I get the question on how to set rates for a private pay practice all the time. Um, and so you have a cash pay practice, uh, again, 11, 11 clinicians. Can you kind of walk us through how you decided how to set rates, like how you structure that process? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about all the mistakes I've made along the way. So I'll try to tell you the way <laughs> okay. that I think it's the best way to do it. Definitely check what the rates are in your area for cash pay, right? Because I think If you do too high or too low, you're really going to hurt yourself in the long run. But at the same time, don't sell yourself short. Okay. And this is what I mean by that. If you're at a specific rate, maybe like, for example, here in Savannah, the cash pay rates about 125, even though actually in our area, there's hardly any cash pay therapists. Most of them are insurance based. So 125 would be pretty reasonable if I were to come in at that as a licensed therapist. 
But if your caseload is filling up or you offer a specialty that's beyond that, it is totally reasonable to raise your rates. And people are going to give you a hard time about that because they're jealous. <laughs> Don't do not let them give you a hard time. But you do the rate that feels right and good for you, that works for your family, that works for your business. And so for me, when I actually first started my practice, I was not licensed. I started at $80 an hour. Honestly, I was lowballing myself. I should have been higher. So just letting you know. And so then over time, I've raised it. And so every year, actually, our practice raises our rates. So we, I went. So when I started my solo practice, I was at 80, then 90, then 100, and then 125 when I got fully licensed. Okay. And then all my therapists, as I hire them, I start them all at 125 if they're fully licensed. And then over time, we raise the rate. And so for me, because I don't want to see a lot of clients, I'm at 200 an hour right now. It's perfect. I only see three or four clients a week. And yeah, people give me a hard time for that rate in this area. But the truth is, I don't really want to take on a whole bunch of new clients. And I'm a really great therapist. So why wouldn't I charge a higher rate for all the experience I have? Um, so I do think it also goes down to your experience, how many years you've been in the practice, continue to raise those rates as well as your specialty. Yeah. And I think a lot of practice owners can get a little bit scared about charging significantly more than their clinicians for themselves. But I think that makes all the sense in the world too. If you're the owner, if someone is getting to see the owner, they should have to pay more than if they're seeing one of your clinicians, right? Oh yeah. Well, the, the whole reason you have a group practice, right? Is so that you don't have to work so hard. Yeah. So if you continue to raise your rates, you become the person people don't want to see because you're trying to fill up your clinicians. You want them to have clients. So if you keep your rates the same as your clinicians, it's not any different. And you're going to be working all the time. You need to be able to see less clients so you can work more on your business. And that's only going to get more important as you grow. Yeah. So I, I want to take a little detour because you mentioned that you raise your rates every year. I also mm -hmm. get a lot of questions around that. So how do you, how does that process look for you? Do you send a letter? When do you send it? Can you give us a little bit of info there? Yeah, this is, you know, we're recording here at the end of November. This is actually something we do this time of year. So November 1st is when we start getting the letters put together. And over time, we load them into the portal and we talk to clients about the letter in session. Um, we never want someone to feel like they can't have therapy because the rate has increased. So if a client is having a hard time with that, we definitely work with them. So for current clients that are in services, the rate goes up $5. Not extremely significant, but enough that it makes a difference in meeting our costs. This also allows me to give my therapist raises because I have W-2s. I can give them raises over time. And then for new clients, we raise the rate by usually $10. Okay. But they, they don't know that the rate's gone up because they're calling for the first time and finding out the rate. Got it. Okay. So November-ish, you start having the conversation with your clients and you do a split. So $5 increase for existing clients, $10 for new clients. Okay. Do you get a lot of pushback on that from, from existing no. clients? I know. No. That's a funny thing, right? <laughs> if they already have a sliding scale sometimes, but if they're on a sliding scale, we usually keep them there, but we don't actually have very many in that situation. Most of them are paying the full rate. Um, and you know, Julie, I didn't say this before, but I'm happy to send you an, a sample letter that you can use. Um, yes, we can definitely want. add that to the show notes. That would be really helpful. Yeah, um, I have a sample. And then also the other thing I want to mention is my associates come in at $100. Every associate I hire 
That's their rate. And so as I increase their rates, by the time we get to 125, it's when they're licensed. Okay. So it works out really well. So by the time they get there, they're like it all kind of works out timing wise. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. There's a lot of fear that I hear about at least. Um, like when we talk with our, some of our clients on the on the financial side of like, well, should I, shouldn't I? I don't want to lose clients. I don't want to alienate anyone. And the reality is most of the time when people increase their rates, there isn't a change in their caseload or it's not a significant one. If, if a few clients leave, those spots get filled up right away. Yes, you, you probably would agree with me on this. I don't know if I've ever consulted someone who said I regretted raising my rates. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, I I can't think of that either. It's usually, I wish I'd done it sooner, right? Yes. That's typically the feedback that I get. Yeah. So as you, so you've talked about a couple of different rates that you have for associates for fully licensed. How do you determine how much you're going to pay the clinicians from that mm-hmm. rate? Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've talked about this a lot on the show, the difference between a 1099 and an W-2. So very different with a 1099. We never want to give them more than 60% really is, is is what I think. And if you can go a little less than that, that's even better. Um, But when we are looking at the W-2 model, I honestly try not to pay them more than 45% of what they bring in. If I get up to 50, that's okay. But I do try to leave it at that point because I need that that income to be able to put towards taxes that I'm mm-hmm. saving for. Um, and then I also do benefits, but the expenses, all those things really do add up. Yeah. So is that, do you mean the 45% as the base wage or is, are you including payroll tax and benefits and not uh, 45%? Not including all that. Okay. So if the therapist is making a hundred dollars a session, well, <clears throat> So the therapists that are making $100 a session, you also have to calculate in their supervision because I'm having to pay a supervisor. So that needs to be calculated into that 45% to decrease it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So some of my associates are more at like 35 to 40%. um, But then when they do get fully licensed, they get a bump up and pay of 10 or $15 an hour because I'm not having to pay for that extra supervision anymore. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, that makes a big difference for them. And that's actually... um, a little bit lower than what we typically see for insurance practices, but that's because your your reimbursement can be a little bit higher um, mm-hmm. because you're not taking insurance. Um, and so when a clinician comes to you asking for a raise, how, how does that process work for you? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we do annual raises. Um, so I definitely do a 90 day review, but at that time they don't necessarily get a raise. And then when we do the raise at the one year, it's either a one, two or 3% raise. So it's not necessarily reflective on what the clients are paying. It's based on, you know, a 3% raise from whatever they're making right now. And I do those annually for when they started their hire date, not when I do the rate increase letters. And that's just because it kind of got complicated. And I felt like your raise should really go along with how long you've been at the practice because we were having some therapists they maybe were hired in September. I'm not going to give them a raise in January 1st. You know, I give them a raise at their annual review. Okay. So one of the ways that you fund the raise is with the rate increase, but they're not necessarily tied as far as timing goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that easier for you to do reviews all throughout the year versus all at all at once. Is that one of the reasons that you um, do it that way? 
easy. Oh, instead of doing everybody at the same time. Oh, you know what, Julie? I've never thought about doing everybody at the same time. Maybe I should. You put a little no. something in my head. No, that's just, that, that's just a, a yeah. there, there's pros and cons to, to both. I think we're going internally through that process right now in November. We do everyone all at once. And so it's kind of a busy time where you're, it's a lot of things to be doing, but then, then it's done where I, mm-hmm. I can definitely see some benefit too, to giving increases and, and, and just spending that time throughout the year. I, I was just curious if there was a, a financial or other reason there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Whitney, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about sliding scale before we move on to benefits. Um, so how do you feel about sliding scales? How do you decide how many spots to open up? Yeah. Tell me all the things. Oh, now I can definitely <laughs> say I don't have a perfect process for this one. And I have heard people tell me some great processes they have. So if the therapist is a new therapist, I'm trying to fill their caseload, I'm going to be a little more likely to do some sliding scale to get them some clients and get them working. Okay. If the therapist is full, then I don't do sliding scale because they're full. And so um, the same thing I was saying for even increasing my rate, we I do it a lot based on demand as well. So if the demand is high to see somebody, why should I take in less money when that person is doing really well and has a high demand. It'd be one thing if I was in a place where we didn't have lower cost services, but there are some places in town that have pro bono services. They get grants, that kind of thing. So that is available to people. But yeah, so um, when I do do a sliding scale, I usually only do it for my associate level therapist, not the licensed ones, because the licensed ones are getting paid a lot more. So I'm going to lose a lot of money in that. And so the associates would... um, they're typically $100. I'll slide that down to 75 or 80 based on if the client has a need for therapy. Um, and then we do t- tend to have an intern as well at the practice. Okay. So for the cat, I think that's really valuable for a cash pay practice. And so we charge 60 and I have found, and I have run the numbers on this, that 60 is the ideal amount. If they're going to see 10 to 15 a week to cover the expenses of having that intern, because you have to invest a ton in them and all the paperwork and the supervision and all that. And the fact that those clients aren't seeing somebody else, you're losing on that as well. So we charge $60 for that. And that's ended up going really well. Okay, great. So is, is the um, internship position that you have open, does that tend to be a pipeline towards hiring for you or not always? Not always. Okay. Okay. Ideally would it would be, or. Mm -hmm. I could tell you some stories, but yes. (laughs) Ideally, they would. And it's something I'm working on structuring the internship program a little better so that I can really mold them to what I'm looking for. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of learning that process, actually. Got it. Okay. Our, our listeners can't see, but on, on Zoom, you definitely had a face when I asked that question. Like, oh, yeah, we've not- been yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. So not quite. I think I feel like in an ideal world that would happen, but the world is not ideal. That doesn't always happen. Um, so as you grew your team uh, to now 11, can you tell me a little bit about when you decided to add benefits and what order you added them in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that was important to me in owning a group practice was that someone could work here and have everything they need without having to worry about the business, that they could have time off. Because when I was a solo practice owner, you don't get that. You don't get paid mm-hmm. time off. You don't get health insurance, all those things. So I wanted to give those things to my employees. So when I made the transition from a 1099 to W-2, this was several years ago, the first thing I implemented was PTO. And so I'm actually pretty conservative with my finances. 
And I encourage practice owners to be the same because the worst is when someone is making less than they did as a solo practice owner, like it's just a mess. So when you're adding benefits to your practice, how I like to do it is a little at a time. You can always increase it later. But what you don't want to be, what you don't want to do is go to your employees later and go, wait, I can't give you that PTO. I told you I could give you, yeah, right? That's not good. Yeah. So PTO is the first thing I implemented and it's at an administrative rate, not at the clinical rate. Um, the administrative rate for an associate is $12 for a licensed is 15. And so in my mind, that's better than nothing. I mean, yeah, I wish I could give them more, but it's still something when they're taking time off. Um, and at first they would accrue 0 0.02 hours for every hour worked. Okay. But now I've raised it to 0 0.05 hours of PTO for every hour worked. Cause what I was finding is people were um, taking days off where their PTO would run out and they'd still take days off. So I changed my whole policy. That's a whole nother podcast, but changed my policy. And I increased that PTO rate um, at that time. Okay. So they're getting one hour of PTO for every 20 clinical hours, basically. Look at you doing your math. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't have been and, able to do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I, yeah, that's a, that's a good rate. So I want to do a little parentheses here that not every state allows uh, an administrative rate for PTO, uh, but you're in Georgia where that is allowed, right? So just, just a little, for any listeners who are in like California, you may not be able to do that. Just, just FYI. Um, okay. So PTO was first. What came next for you? Um, continuing education. Okay. So we give $200 a year for continuing ed. They have to just submit to us what kind of thing they want to go to, and then we pay for it. Okay. And then what came after that? I believe it was retirement. Okay. Like a 401k or a mm -hmm. simple? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's great because Gusto has guideline. And mm -hmm. um, I think actually Green Oak might've suggested that to me. And so it, um, it all like goes straight in through gusto. It's so great. And so we have a matching up to 3%, but the employee can invest up to 10%. And then you don't get it until you've been here a year. The matching or you, you don't vest until you've been there for a year. Correct. Okay. Um, so how did you decide that came next? Did you pull your employees? Is that something that you wanted? What was the process there? Yeah, I asked them how, well, it was something that I wanted. I think it's valuable. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do not save for retirement. Yes. And it's so important. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the next thing I wanted to do. But I did pull the team and say, hey, is this something that you would want to put your money into, you know, your percentage? And all of them unanimously said yes. Okay. Um, and I think I think all of them matched to the top amount. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then wow. I, I also, you know, am part of it as well, which has been yeah. really great for me too. Yeah, that's a nice benefit for you, like when cash flow allows to, to do a contribution and or even max that out from a tax perspective. That can be, that can be really nice. Um, so I find it interesting though, because we rarely see an entire team participate in a 401k, but it also very much depends on the age of the team. Uh, I find that younger teams don't care nearly as much about a 401k than um than older teams. That's huh. anecdotal information. I don't have any research to, to prove that, but um, interest, that's, that's interesting that everyone participated. Mm -hmm. um, after that, did you add health insurance? So then I added health no. insurance. Yes. And like you were saying, different states have different rules. So actually my brother is a broker 
So if anyone in Georgia is listening and needs some yeah. help with that, let me know. <laughs> um, so he, uh, my mama always said, you go to your siblings for their businesses. So I went to my brother. <laughs> um, anyway, so at the time you have to have at least two people on the health insurance. And I actually am not on my policy here at the practice because I'm on my husband's policy and he has a family plan. So there's four of us. So me pulling out of that doesn't change his cost at all because the girls yeah. would still be on there. So so I'm not on ours, um, but I had two employees who were able to jump on it here. Um, the other thing about Georgia is they have to work at least 30 hours a week. So I had a therapist that was working 30 hours and an admin. So maybe that was part of it too, is I needed to wait until I had two people working enough hours because I had a lot oh, of part-time, a lot of 15 mm -hmm. to 20 hour a week therapists. Um, but now I have four people on the policy. So I love it. I love that I can offer that to them. Um, I have a very middle of the middle of the road policy, but same thing, like doing it slowly. I only added to it first and I didn't go with the most expensive plan has made it a lot easier. And I think it's important as business owners, when you offer jobs to people, you really include these benefits because the health insurance for my practice, it's a little over $6,000 a year for each person. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, instead of making 50,000, you're making 56,000, just to give an idea here. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they take a job as the employee. So I think it's important that you um, put that in your offer letter so that they can really see all the things they're getting for the, for the money. Yeah. And it does add up between that $6,000 um, for health insurance that part of it's a tax-free benefit too, for them. So like that, ultimately that's a, that's a really good thing versus them, um, finding it on their own, but that plus 401k plus, uh, continuing ad, like those really do add up. And when we look at the full compensation package, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything left for you to add? Not, not really, right. There's not a whole lot. There's like maybe disability or life insurance, but um, there's not a whole lot of options left for you. Yeah. I haven't added all those things yet. Um, I mean, another thing we really talk about as far as kind of benefits, I'm using that in quotes is really just the gifts that you get by being here. So we get birthday presents. Um, and then we also have quarterly, at least quarterly fun events. So I do put some money aside for those as well. So that might be a really nice dinner, or we did a game night one night, we rented out an arcade and played like stuff like that. So those are fun benefits. Yeah. Didn't you do a murder mystery maybe with your team? Yeah. So we just did our second annual murder mystery. So we do it right around Halloween and it's okay. so much fun. We all dress up and get those box games, murder mystery games. Um, so yeah, so it's a good, good team building exercise and really funny to see therapists dress up. That sounds, I've seen pictures of your, your murder mysteries. They sound like a blast. Like I kind of want to join your team so I can, so I can be part of that too. Awesome. Um, well, Wendy, thanks so much for uh, for coming on. I, I know this is a topic that so many uh, practice owners are are wondering about. You have a couple of new things on your plate. One being the Wise Practice podcast, um, and then you're also planning a summit in October of 2023. Um, so to learn more about the summit, if you head to WhitneyOwens.com, you can hit the summit there and learn all about it, but it's going to be here in Savannah. So it's like two minutes from my office. I'm so excited. It's a beautiful hotel. It's also a Marriott. So you can get your Bonvoy Very points. Nice. You can see the Savannah river and you can walk to restaurants. You don't need to have a car while you're here. It's about 14 miles from the airport or something like that. It's not too far. 
Um, but yeah, I am, it's going to be a fancy dinner. I'm really pumped and I just feel honored. We have a really great caliber of speakers and sponsors, including Green Oak Accounting. Yes, so I'm really excited there. that you'll be there. Yeah, we will be having a lot of fun. Very good. And tell us also where to find your new podcast. Yeah. So it's really on most podcast players. I love iTunes. You know, I'm always on this where I listen to all my podcasts. So it's definitely on there. Wise practice podcast would love for people to check it out, especially if you have a faith-based practice. Um, it's really helpful in helping you grow that practice. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Whitney. Thanks, Julie. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.